you know, what's what's the uh, pediatric epidose, you know? And you're just like, I usually have a reference. I don't have it. You know, it's, it's it just adds to the stress of it, I think. It does add to the stress. And that's <laughs> fun for you? <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> is. It's fun. <laughs> you're smiling right now. <laughs> it is. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, you, you have to go into it kind of wanting to enjoy it and have fun and to challenge yourself. So now when you're in the middle of it and you're sweating and you're stressed out, you're like, why am I doing this? Yeah. I literally got on a plane and flew here to do this, and I'm sweating right now. This is miserable. That is kind of interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's a big part of, of, of growth. Something you have to do, especially as a paramedic, is you have to put yourself in in these predicaments and positions so you, you can learn. I learn a lot from doing that, you know? Not, yeah. not just about medicine, but about myself. You have to work for a place that will sustain a lifestyle that you can flourish in, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm fortunate to work for one of those places. I take a month off every year, an entire month off, hmm. and I travel. That right there just keeps me sane sometimes when I'm on my 20th call. That's spectacular. You know, it is. It's You're good. like European or something. <laughs> Isn't that messed up how the Europeans get a month off every year? No, it's spectacular. They no, get it it's all awesome. It's just messed up it's that the best we don't have up. it. Take off in the summertime. Because have, have you ever worked EMS in the summer <laughs> in Texas? Uh-huh. It's miserable. <laughs> How do you get a whole month off? I have benefit time and I Use take it. it off. Oh yeah. And some trades too? No. No. I take off an entire month. How neat. Yeah. People that are hearing this right now that work for an apartment are like, that son of a bitch. I can't believe he's doing that. Well, but look what you've done for that department. You've stuck with them for how many years? Uh eleven years. Right. Yeah. So it's t- I mean it works. It's a formula that works for longevity. We went first, and then Montgomery County went second. So then we had time to kind of hang out and talk afterwards. So I, I went up to them, and I said, hey, man, good job, guys. You did good. And they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, man, that was a tough scenario. And I was like, how long did it take for you to find the second baby? And they're like, what? Like, you, you didn't find the second baby hidden under, under the couch? Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. This episode felt a lot like some of the first episodes of Medic Mindset. I had a few things on my mind that I wanted to discuss with this guest, but we also just let the conversation ebb and flow wherever it pleased. The purpose in sitting down together was to discuss his performance in the EMS World Clinical Challenge, but we ended up talking about all kinds of things like career longevity and advice he would give new medics. His name is Andrew Azelton, and he has been in EMS for 18 years, and you will hopefully hear what I heard in his voice. He was engaged and lively and happy to talk shop. And he seemed just generally peaceful in his work and life. And I left the conversation with more energy than when we started. And I hope he will have that same effect on you. Here he is. I just brought you in here. Got you in here like quick. Hit record. No warm up time. That's fine. That's how we do it in EMS. Just walk in the door. You're on. I wanted to talk to you about you participating in these clinical challenges or simulated call tournaments. I guess they have different names. I think the common term would be um, competitions. How many have you done? I have done three. I know you did one in New York. Correct. You did one at EMS World Expo. What was the third? Uh, GEMS. It's like EMS Today. What's the name of their conference? That's it. EMS Today. Today. Okay. So this is kind of new for you. It's not like you've been doing it for five, ten years. No, I didn't even know these existed until literally a year ago. And how'd you get looped in? Pretty organically, I guess I'd say. About a year ago, my buddy and old partner, Paul, called me and said, hey, man, I'm going to be up on the East Coast. I kind of want to do this clinical competition thing. Would you want to come with me? I said, yeah, sure. Let's do it. I've actually never been to an EMS conference in all my years. So I said, well, let's do it. I've never been to a conference. And it kind of spiraled from there and turned into what we are doing now, which is having an actual team and going around the country and now the world competing. I watched this clinical challenge at Expo closely because I knew you guys were participating and some other people I knew as well. And it looks like for the ALS side that only Texas teams won first, second and third. You noticed that, huh? I did. Ah. What do you make of that? I think it's great. I think all of us were really excited that all the top three teams were from Texas. Obviously, we're proud of it. I think it gave us a little bit more pressure too. Because now we're competing against all three teams from Texas. So it was like, okay, this is a, the competition's steep now. Right. We're going to hear about it when we get back if we let one of these teams beat us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So Paul 
got you into it? It's like a friendly thing. Like you just wanted to help him out with his idea or were you like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. It sounded really cool. I've done scenarios. I recently just finished a clinical training, I guess I'd call it, at my job, advanced care medic. And that's like 40 hours of clinical um, scenarios with our medical director. So I was already kind of in that zone. It just sounded fun. I wanted to try it. Paul's a really great guy. He's super smart. He was my old partner. So me and him have done a lot of calls together. And I thought, eh, we could probably give this a go and see what happens. So I want to dig into one of my first questions, which is, do you guys have a plan going into the simulated call? Do you say, I'm doing this part, you're doing this part? What's the kind of pre-brief that you give each other, the shared mental model? How do you walk into these? Yeah, so for this last competition, we had a bit of a plan because we knew that it was just us two on this one. We made Paul the team leader, I guess is what you would say. So we made him being the guy who's asking the questions, doing doing his uh, history. I was kind of the guy doing all the skills, doing the vital signs, doing the assessments, some of the assessments, but we kind of let Paul do the talking and asking the questions. And I was kind of following up with secondary questions and kind of taking care of the patient care. So when you walked in, you knew he was going to be doing team lead. You said you were kind of in charge of tasks. Did you have a plan of this is going to be my first task or were you more fluid and open to like, what is the first task that's going to need to be done? I think I was fluid just because we didn't know what, what we were getting into. You walk in and we just started the, the call. I actually don't remember what we did first, but you know, you just start the call. Tell me about the call, all the details. Yeah. So are we talking about the preliminary? I'm talking about probably just the last one. The last one. Okay. Because there were two scenarios. Let's do the last one. Okay. So la- I saw a video of it. Oh my God. Well, I what I saw in the video is like what I not would not have wanted to be doing. Oh yeah. It's, it's terrifying, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we had a... A 20-something-year-old female that had a immediate rapid delivery of a baby that was critical and was actively dying, and we had to manage the kid. A part of that was kind of doing our differentials and finding out any reversible causes, and it ended up that she was an actual diabetic. So it ended up having a low blood sugar, was bradycardic, uh, had some respiratory difficulty as well. So we had to manage all of those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I saw in the video was you also having to attend to your second patient, the person who had just delivered a baby. And you were checking in with her, but you had limited resources. Not a fun call. Was she doing okay? She was doing fine. Paul assessed her pretty rapidly while I was kind of doing the basic uh, initiating the care of the kid. And we determined that she was fairly stable. But in the competition, you never believe that someone's stable. You're like waiting for the, okay, where's my third patient? What's about to happen? We were managing the child, but also at the same time, kind of keeping her there. We were using the husband to kind of give us feedback on how she was doing because we were so tied up with the care of the child. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually glad you came in second. (laughs) Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. As a person who's going to have a conversation with you about it, Uh I'm thrilled that you came in second. Because I think if you came in first, you wouldn't have reflected on it as much as you do when when you come in second. It's like when you have a little bit of negative feedback or if you're just like, yeah, you weren't number one. It's like it causes you. I bet you spent more hours reflecting and thinking about how to do it better next time. That's an interesting way to look at it. I've never Mm -hmm. thought about it like that. You've been number one. Yeah, I would have came in. Well, I, I probably wouldn't have time for you. I'd be too too busy. You know, <laughs> I'd be I'd be on the you know on the circuit. Yeah, I'd be on the circuit. You know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have time for this. But <laughs> I think I could have wrangled you. Okay, all right, probably. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I actually did learn a lot from that scenario. Kids are hard. And this is a neonate kid. It was a neonate. I should have known going in we were probably going to have a kid. I've, I've noticed that. That's been a theme with the clinical competitions. They do that for a reason because they know it's stressful and the dosages are more difficult to calculate, all the things that come with taking care of somebody that small. So I should have known it was going to be that. I didn't know, obviously, until right before we opened the door, which is another interesting thing about these that I thought about. If we were responding to that actual call on the ambulance, we have 
you know, five to eight minutes to go, okay, this is a kid. Let's start thinking about our dosages. I'm going to get all my information. I'm going to get some calculations done. You don't have that in this competition. They literally give you a maybe a 10-second bit of information, and you open the door, and it's on. Right. So you don't have that time to prepare. Because they ha- they're under a bit of a time crunch. They're trying to get a lot of teams through. Yeah. And it, it, what you're describing reminds me of when people knock on the door of the station. <laughs> yeah. They come in their car. <laughs> yes. This, is, <laughs> this happened to me at a, a really quiet, slow station in the middle of the night. Someone who had burns on her hands yeah. from falling in a fire. And, I mean, we're half asleep. And I'm like, huh. Get burns on your hands, and I'm still like, but it's. I mean, it can't happen. I guess that we get, or you're driving along the road and you yeah. have a quick patient. So, yeah, but you don't have that prep time. No, no. Going back to about coming in second. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I wasn't too happy with my performance actually on that final. I felt like I could have done better, but we did what we did. You know, so that second place isn't bad, but kind of won it first. You know, mm-hmm. MCHD, we're coming for you. Mm-hmm. If you're out there, we're coming for you. Oh, they're out there. Congratulations, but we're yeah, I was get really you proud time. to see as a just kind of a college professor neutral party. I was really proud to see Texas so represented. I want to go back to this. What do you make of that? Because mm-hmm. I make something of it. Okay. Like, why do you think Texas? My opinion is that this actual competition was graded more on the clinical care that was given, not necessarily other aspects that some competitions focus on. And I think that helped us as being from Texas and the type of practice that we do here in the state is can be slightly different. We have the, what's the term I'm trying to think of? What's the uh, delegated practice? So having a delegated practice state, I think, in my opinion, helped us with this particular competition because it was based more on the clinical care, evidence-based medicine, and then the teamwork and communication, which I feel like we had a pretty good amount of. But I think that those first two really helped the Texas teams. That's my thoughts exactly. Was it really? Yeah, it is. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it is. Hey, guys. Popping in here really quick to tell you that Medic Mindset is supported by a clinical education technology company called iSimulate. They provide cost-effective, reliable, and realistic simulation tools. And I personally use their products in the classroom. One of the first things I appreciated about iSimulate was how simple the technology is for both the learners and the educators. Unlike other systems that require long boot-up times, their simulation system is built on iPads, and they are instantly on and ready so I can get straight to simming and playing and learning. They have a YouTube channel that I'll link to in the show notes if you want to see what I'm talking about. Now... Back to Andrew. Have you experienced a professional benefit? Has it increased your confidence or re-engaged you in the in the field or taught you things? Like, are there good things coming out of this? Anytime you can get a call that critical, that's high fidelity, you're going to learn stuff from. And that's one call I don't have to run in the field again. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've ran those calls, but being able to manage that patient and experiencing that always benefits you. You know, it makes you makes you a stronger medic, I think. Are you ready to talk about what you wish you had done better? Sure. Or, de- or wish Absolutely. you had done differently? I'm a medic. Of course I am. I'm ready to tear myself up. <laughs> well, a lot of people do it, but on their, in their own head. Some people yeah. haven't gotten to that place in their development where they're willing to do it out loud in front of others. Oh, I'll totally do it. No I problem. I like that about you. No problem. Lay it on me. I honestly think on that call, and this is actually feedback that we got from the judges, which we got a little bit of feedback. I don't think I managed the basics of that patient. So if you recall, it was a uh, precipitous delivery, and the baby was cold, bradycardic, and I think apneic or agonal. I didn't. I didn't warm the patient. I didn't do the basics. Mm -hmm. And that's something I don't typically do in the field because when I practice, I'm typically the paramedic on the scene. I have the luxury of working for a system that has almost unlimited amount of resources. So I'm always there with five people who are managing that for me. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting that I, that went to the wayside and I forgot to do that. I went right to my kind of you know, like what paramedics are always guilty of doing, right? We we do the ALS before the BLS, mm-hmm. and um, I could have I could have warmed the patient, stimulated mm-hmm. him, and uh, done that a little bit better. I think. What happened with the patient? Tell me the story because I don't know the full story. 
patient was bradycardic. I think initial heart rate was like in the 40s. Mm. So we started CPR. I quickly got dad to start compressions. Okay. So I didn't I, get to see that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I used dad for the compressor. I got him, kind of gave him a brief walkthrough of what to do. And he was doing compressions pretty quick because mm. we needed that. Because I, it's difficult to... I mean, I could have done compressions and bagged the patient, but I felt like that was going to free me up from that. Yeah. But then he also wasn't... I wasn't ensuring he was doing the proper rate, the depth, and all the stuff that comes along with that. Okay. So, yeah. I think that kind of hurt us a little bit. Mm. Yeah. And so the baby didn't improve? It actually did get better. We learned pretty quick that mom was a diabetic. Uh-huh. Uh, she took metformin. So we got a heel stick pretty quick, and uh, the baby's blood sugar was low. So mm-hmm. then we walked through the process of getting IO access, uh, giving uh, dextrose, and we had a positive recovery by the time the call ended. We were getting heart rate up, SATs were coming up. Probably just didn't happen as quick as it would have if we would have tended to the uh, BLS part of it first. You know what I learned recently is that when neonates are first born, their SATs are low and they come up over time. Like in the first minute or two, it's normal for them to be low. Really? That while their fetal circulation is turning off and they're turning into like this extra uterine new mm-hmm. way of flowing blood. Yeah. I learned that recently. That's interesting. I learned it from the Flight Bridge Ed guys. Those guys are wicked smart. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, man, did somebody tell me that before and I just lost it? Or have I yeah, never that heard been that? would have been good to know. Well, I was thinking about you guys, like mm-hmm. thinking about the sats. It's like when well, the first minute we're okay with... Um, to look this up, but yeah. hang on. Okay, so this study says oxygen saturation in healthy newborn infants immediately after birth, measured by pulse ox. And they looked at 50 healthy vaginal delivery neonates, and they looked at their SATs. And it said two minutes after birth, the mean SpO2 was 73%. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Two minutes after. I got Eric Bauer from Flight Bridge Ed on the line to give us the scoop on newborn SATs. In a healthy newborn infant, oxygen saturations actually rise very, very slowly. They don't usually reach 90% even in the first five minutes. Sometimes it takes up to 10 minutes. We always want to do a, a, a pre-ductal SpO2, so that SpO2 probe needs to be on the right hand. There is definitely a difference between pre and post ductal. And, you know, if the pre ductal was, let's say, 63%, it would probably be in the 55% range post ductal. But when you look at the new NRP guidelines, teach this, what they're teaching is to focus on your resuscitation, always looking at skin color, heart rate. Heart rate is everything, getting that heart rate greater than 100. That one minute mark, if your SpO2 is between 60 and 65%, your heart rate is appropriate, skin color is appropriate, obviously doing APGAR scores, you would be fine with that. You would only treat them if their SpO2 is less than 60% at that one minute mark. Remember, one minute is very quick. What I would do in that situation is I would probably give positive pressure ventilations over anything. And I probably honestly would wait one or two minutes. I mean, I'm not going to get all tore up. If my SpO2 is 58% at the one minute mark, again, we need to be between 60 and 65. But at the two-minute mark, if I reevaluate that and my SpO2s are not climbing, you know, I would maybe try a little positive pressure ventilation. This is done in different ways. I've talked to NICU teams that will give positive pressure ventilations on room air. Uh, there are some that may, maybe after a few minutes, give them 30% FiO2, but usually they do not go above that. And you're just slowly bringing the SpO2 up. Again, at five minutes, your SpO2 should be between 80 and 85%. So that can be very alarming for a crew if they've never taken NRP and they haven't been taught these guidelines. uh, It can be very uncomfortable because those numbers are not numbers that we normally would be all right with. You're suggesting that a better number to look at is heart rate as far as the, the overall condition of the newborn? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you got to look at the appearance. Is that heart rate greater than 100? Does the baby withdraw from you? They've got good tone. Do they pull back from you? Are they breathing normally? The studies actually show that when they're in utero, their SpO2s are less than 60%. So that is a very normal number for them. They're transitioning from a circulation that is 
not going to be their circulation once they start breathing oxygen. Their foramen above valve closes, their ductus starts closing, um, their right side of their heart actually becomes now the low pressure side. The left side becomes the high pressure side. So everything is is changing. Uh, and we have to understand that, that that increase in SpO2 has to come up as their heart and their body um, changes as well. I mean, you think about APGAR, which I don't think about much. <laughs> oh, I was so glad they didn't ask me for APGAR on that. I said, my patient has a poor APGAR. <laughs> That's it. And I was like, and don't ask me. But I was like, oh, please. When you think about APGARs, we, we are comfortable with a little bit of like that um, peripheral cyanosis. Initially, yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about APGAR for a second. One thing you said was, I was so glad they didn't ask me. Yeah. Were they quizzing you during, were they ask you stuff like that? Um. Not, no. So they, they didn't say, what is your patient's APGAR? Mm-hmm. I've had competitions where they do ask for that. I think what typically happens is you end up, you end up putting it on yourself, right? So like, I, I was like, I should say the APGAR, because that's going to look really cool in front of everyone if yeah. I do the APGAR. <laughs> but all I could get out was, I have a poor APGAR. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked. Don't you think to really get an APGAR, you got to use some type of reference? Like, yeah. I mean, that's the only way I'm going to get it. Yeah. One of the challenging parts about this is you were limited to what references you could bring with you so i couldn't pull out my phone we had very limited references so they supply the references they did not supply the references but they allowed us to bring certain references and they would have to approve them Mm. but every competition is different so some competitions allow none some allow you to bring as much as you want that makes it that makes it interesting yes i would really like for them all to allow for all references any yeah. reference. Yeah. Because if you're bringing the wrong references, it's going to result in poor performance. Yeah. Right? If you're bringing your textbook as a reference, you're going to suck on that call. So it's just about how you integrate those references into your call. I think not having references, it adds to the stress of the competition, though. Because it's just one of those things. Like, it's a part of the competition that's not really accurate to a real call. But it's like, you know, what's what's the uh, pediatric epidose? You know, and you're just like, I usually have a reference. I don't have it. You know, it's, it's it just adds to the stress of it. I think it does add to the stress, and that's fun for you. <laughs> yeah, it is. Sm- it's fun. <laughs> you're smiling right now. It is. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, you, you have to go into it kind of wanting to enjoy it and have fun and to challenge yourself. So, the more challenging, the better. I think is the way we kind of approach it. Mm. Now, when you're in the middle of it and you're sweating and you're stressed out, you're like, Why am I doing this? Yeah. I literally got on a plane and flew here to do this, and I'm sweating right now. This is miserable. That is kind of interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's a big part of, of, of growth. Something you have to do, especially as a paramedic, is you have to put yourself in in these predicaments and positions so you, you can learn. I learn a lot from doing that, you know? Not yeah. not just about medicine, but about myself, you know? Yep. See yeah. what you're made of. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's say you run that same call at, like, my neighbor's house. How is it different on the real call versus in the competition? How is it different? Because that was a stressful call. This is a... Yeah. Was it full term? I believe so, yeah. So either way. Yeah. Deliver baby, distressed parents who honestly like didn't seem like they presented much of a distraction. They weren't being needy and needing some like soothing or anything. They just kind of kept to themselves. Yeah. Tell me your vision of that actual call. How is it different? Or is it... Slightly, but what I'll say about this competition is I think they did a really good job at making it as realistic as possible. The care I provided and what me and Paul did is probably fairly accurate to what we would have done in real life. Mm -hmm. We probably wouldn't have been talking as much out loud. And I think in my world, I would have had more resources there a lot more quickly. That's part of the competition that makes it challenging, right? Is you're going to be limited with resources. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have been less difficult in real life just because of that. Because there could have been another team member, firefighter, commander, police, someone talking to the family. Or, yep. Yeah. Yeah. How do you practice for these? Or do you? So we actually didn't practice for this one that we just did. And the reason we didn't is because we knew what they were grading this competition off of. And we thought, you know what? Let's go in and just run it like a call and mm-hmm. see how we do. I've done other competitions where we've had to practice a little bit more because we knew some of the scenarios were things like triaging or they'd base it off of national standards. So we would have to kind of change our practice and 
kind of refresh ourselves in things like triage and national standards, which sometimes we don't always practice here, be, being um, the delegated practice state. So we'd review ACLS uh, yeah. PALs and things like that. Yeah, this one we literally did not meet once for practice. And I guess that helped. I guess we're going to do that more often now. <laughs> just not practice. Just wing it. Well, when it is just evaluating what you, you're practicing just by running calls, just by being a medic, right? Sure. And that's what I loved about this clinical challenge is that they were focused on the clinician. They were looking at your thinking and your thought process and your performance, like skills also, but more of um, what looked like clinical decision making and teamwork and yeah. stuff like that. That's one thing that separated this competition from the last ones that I've done is they really focused on that. That was good for us. Now, the other competitions are fun, but they they stress other things. I think those are things sometimes you have to practice for and train for. Mm -hmm. This one wasn't one of those for us. We could just go in and run a call. It's me and Paul. We're on a medic truck and we run a call together, you know, mm -hmm. and it ended up being okay for us. So I sent you a video. Did you get the video that I sent of you doing it? Yes. Did you watch it? No. <laughs> are you going to? No. You won't? I I, I don't know. Actually, I... <laughs> I pulled it up and you said like, it said like videos of you. And I was like, oh man, did they video it? And I go up and I see, and I'm like, oh, it's a terrible angle. I mean, it's just like me bent over. It's like <laughs> sweating over this kid. I'm like, oh, this looks awful. So I probably won't watch it. Interesting. But I probably should. Well, it was a really short clip. It wasn't the whole thing. I think it was maybe two minutes of it. Yeah. But I was glad to get to see it. The reason I asked the question is because I think videoing is a really great educational tool to have to look at yourself. And for adult learners, it's like, if we can just watch a video of ourselves, I mean, we still need expert feedback and all that, but there's like 90% of it we pick up on our own self-critique. Interesting you say that. One of our other competitions, it was the first competition we did at gyms. We were allowed to video, uh, I don't want to say videotape, sound like an old person. There's no tape involved anymore. <laughs> Wait, what do we call it? Film? What do we call it now? Video, I think. It's just Oh, just video. Digital, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We did a videotape. No, video there's no tape? Yeah, there's no camcorder or anything. <laughs> it's all digital now, Ginger. Oh. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know what you're doing at your house. <laughs> um, I watched one of our scenarios, and it was a, uh, a pediatric arrest as well. I focused on me, and I'm watching myself, and I had a stethoscope around my neck, and I took it off and put it on and put it back on my neck and then took it off and put it on. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. I didn't even remember doing that. Interesting. But I was I was under stress and I was I think I was just doing it without thinking, you know. Yeah. But it was weird to watch. It's neat to watch. I love that stuff. Oh, it's weird. Wait, I try to get the students to watch videos of themselves. There's this one habit that students do where they'll find out the patient's name and they'll say the name about thirty times throughout the call and they don't know they're doing it at all. I always forget the name. Same. You know why you forget it? It has to do with uh I guess putting it into long-term memory or I'm losing it because I'm stressed or what? I think it's not an important piece of data for decision-making. And so we just put it in the oh. pile of like, okay, I'll get to that later. It's kind of like when you get the BGL and it, you, you like the number, you don't store what the actual number is. You just store yeah. that you liked it. Yeah. And then you get to the hospital and your partner said, hey, what's the blood sugar? And you just... You say, I like, like it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, a funny thing about the name thing I wanted okay. to say because I just, I just remembered... On that scenario, on the final scenario for the clinical challenge, mm -hmm. the two actors, which was the mom and the dad, I don't know if they were, they they were young kids. I don't know if they were EMT students or who, usually they have EMT students that yeah. kind of volunteer. Halfway through the call, I looked at the, at the parents and I said, what's his name? And they just looked at me like, we didn't think of that. And you could tell <laughs> they were actors. like, yeah. And they're like, uh, and I'm like, you don't know your kid's name? <laughs> They were all stressed out, and they came up with some name, but it was like, uh, Ricky. Ricky. Ricky, is it? Okay. So let me ask you, in that moment, was that humorous to you? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was funny. So you had your sense of humor Absolutely. during the call? Absolutely. That's so good. Oh, you have to. Yeah, but I, I know you have to. It's great to be able to. <laughs> yeah. It's just that most people wouldn't be able to. I think it's a reaction to stress for me. Oh. I think the more stressed I get, just the more it becomes funny to me. Mm -hmm. I think that's a defense mechanism yeah. that I've probably learned throughout the years. Yeah. Just reminds you that this is all make-believe. Is Paul like that? No, I think Paul's more serious than me. I think that's why we work well together. 
I think we complement each other well. Mm-hmm. Paul is very serious and very professional, and I'm always the one kind of reminding him that this is all funny and he should relax. So I think <laughs> we kind of complement each other. I wish he could come by and let me ask him questions. Yeah, he's on a truck right now, actually. Is it is it right here? We were trying to get that arranged, but yeah. he would he would love to. Maybe talk I can grab you. him. You're gonna have to slow down the uh, audio. You're gonna have to like slow down because he talks so fast. You're gonna oh. have to like drop it down because. He talks a mile a minute. Does he? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. He's yeah. like uh, he's like that. Okay. Yeah. So does he think that fast too? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The guy is a the guy's a rock star man. He is a mm-hmm. wizard. Mm-hmm. He's a walking encyclopedia. I loved working with him. I always told people, I don't care what call we go on, we're gonna figure this out. I got Paul. Yeah, we're gonna figure it <laughs> out. Yeah, we're we're gonna be okay. You know. So I got to see him. You guys decided you wanted to give some D ten. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't have D10 premixed. Yeah. I got to see him tell the evaluators, like, well, normally we would have D10. Yeah. But he just kept moving forward. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, no time, no time. I'm just going to make it. Like, I j- yep. he just kept, like, plodding along. Yeah. I like that mindset. And I just watched a student do this last week. It was just a horrible, horrible simulation. And they couldn't quite figure out what the reversible cause was of the cardiac arrest, but he just kept plodding along, just like never gave up, never gave up. It's awesome. I don't really have a question around that other than just to say that I noticed it. What I saw was a guy not making an excuse for anything. Like he he made the statement, okay, this is going to be a friction point for me. Yeah. But then he just kept going. Yeah. I guess for these clinical competitions, you kind of have to just roll with it sometimes. We're like sharks, man. You got to keep on swimming, right? Mm -hmm. And that's... That's what we do in these competitions. That bag that we were working out of, mm-hmm. I had about three minutes to look through it. And next thing I know, I'm running this call out of it. Yeah. So you got to perform. Work with what you got. Adapt and overcome, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. How will you How will you select people to join the team? So we, we've had this conversation. Here's the number one thing is you have to be you have to be okay to hang out with this person and travel with them. And that's really my only thing you just isn't that what we want in all of our ems partners also <laughs> yes that's like number one criteria yes, number one annoying <laughs> <laughs> can i spend 24 hours with you we're definitely going to be back in new york to the msoc competition that's tell me about that one oh i saw a crazy video of that yeah you like that um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did okay, so... it was like rock music and oh, yeah, flashbangs yeah. and so msoc is like another level of competition there's The clinical challenge, the EMS clinical challenge, which focuses on the clinical aspect. Mm -hmm. MSOC is like way over here in this other corner. And it's like... You're getting excited, so I got to turn you down a little bit. Oh my God. (laughs) We're talking about MSOC. If MSOC was a sport and the clinical challenge was a sport, I would say the EMS clinical challenge is like something like golf. MSOC is like... uh, What am I trying to think of? Well, I'm thinking of like naked rugby or something. Yeah, Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like um, Tough Mudder. So it's a part of a conference which happens every year in New York put on by FDNY called the Medical Special Operations Conference. It's put on by FDNY EMS has a competition team that's well known. They're actually kind of what I would assume is kind of like the pioneers of this. And they host this competition. And every year they try to make it more extreme than the year before. You go into it, you are going to get an experience. And Uh I'm sure you saw that from the videos. Yeah, it was like loud noises. You were in some dark place. The first scenario, I was under a subway train. Was it actual train you were under? Yes. Yes, that is at the FDNY Training Center. And they have an actual subway platform with multiple trains. They have all the effects of the noises and everything. So I watched that and I thought, that could actually cause a little distress. Like, yeah. Do you have to process it like a real call or not so much? Um, how so? Like, does it leave you the next day being like, man, that was intense. I need to like actually kind of go through that step by step. And I guess emotionally processing. It was, it was an assault on the senses. Yes. You can yes. agree to that. Oh, yeah. Like sensory overload. It's like going through a haunted house, but you're like, yes. it, it's, it's like going through a haunted house, but you're trying to like run a call. <laughs> it was like that. Okay. It's very challenging, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of fun. It's probably not as realistic yeah. as the clinical challenge. I appreciate the clinical challenge because of that, but MSOC is fun. 
I think the haunted house is a great analogy because like haunted, haunted houses house. are distressing, but you're not upset about it after. In Imsoc, you're constantly looking for the trap door. You're like, where is it at? It's Ooh, it's here. Do people somewhere. get hurt? I don't know. I'm I'm not going to say anyone's ever been hurt, but it is physically challenging. Mm-hmm. Like we've had people get short of breath or not able to complete a task because it's physically demanding. Have you gotten any feedback or do you worry that people are kind of judging you a little bit like that they're like thinking what's this guy up to like what's sometimes when people are in the public eye or doing something that's bringing attention to yourself yeah we worry that our colleagues are looking at us like what are they up to have you had any of that self-talk not a lot i think i'd be lying if i say i haven't because i'm human Mm -hmm. but you know, I think going into this, you know that you're going to be out in the public and you're going to get people watching you. So I think you have to be open to that or at least know that it's going to be there. I'll tell you that at the clinical challenge, they streamed the the final scenario. Not our scenario, but the, the last team to go. They streamed it and we were watching it. And all I could do is watch the comments streaming through. I know. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that's that's horrible. Just, brutal. It's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Some comments were fair. Some weren't. But mm-hmm. it's, that's, it's feedback, though. It's it is. And it's it's kind of what you're signing up for when you do this. So mm-hmm. I think you have to have a little bit of tough skin. You know, and maybe this is becoming more common. So I'm not really – that is the public eye. But I'm also wondering about, like, the guys you're literally on the truck with yeah. the next shift. Okay. You know, are they kind of like – are they are they giving any feedback, positive or negative? Uh, I think all the feedback I've received personally has been positive. I, I get a lot of people that follow us on our team page or they're aware of it and they want to come up and say, hey, man, that was awesome what you guys did. Or they want to ask about it. My personal team, I'm on rescue. So mm-hmm. like my guys are super hard on me, right? So yeah. if anybody beats me, they're like, really, man? Second place? Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> and you're like... Dude, there's like 25 teams. Yeah. yeah. I think just putting yourself out there and you're, we're, we're trying to promote not only our industry, but also learning, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's very scary for people to put themselves out there like that. So doing it, I think maybe might encourage people to give it a try. So that's what I'm hoping comes of this. What are you doing? This is, I'm just amazed at how silent it is. This is like so quiet. Like, I can't, can't hear anything. It's because of these little guys. It's amazing. It's peaceful. Do you get much peace in your day? I think so. I do. I've been doing this for 18 years, so I've, I've learned what works and what doesn't. I think I could always be better at it, but I think I've learned how to balance it as best I can. I'm going to buy some of these headphones and just go home and put these on. This is super quiet. I can block out my dogs and everything. You could. I'm serious. <laughs> A little noise canceling. It's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. What what do you do to relax? Well, I don't go to work. That's the first thing I do. So I don't I don't work overtime. That's one thing that I've been able to not do anymore. I try to stay physical. Um, I like to sign up for races and then do them, whether I'm ready for them or not. Uh, I do a lot of races, running, swimming, biking. I do triathlon. Training for those kind of helps me manage the stress, I think. It's a good positive outlet. It's like a forcing function just to sign up for it because then you're going to go run that run even if you're you, – what you just said is you're going to do it whether you're ready or not. Yeah. And what you actually do is you sign up for it and then you post it on social media. <laughs> I'm serious. No, I, I hear you. And then you. like everyone's like, oh, hey, I saw you're doing that. And you're like, God dang it. Man, I got to go run now. Everyone's going to be asking about this stupid race. Smart. Forcing yeah. functions. We've got to have them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do that. Uh, me and the wife travel a lot. I got some dogs. Mm-hmm. Take care of them. Take them to the dog parks. Regular stuff, I think. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. The iSimulate monitors? Yeah. Do you practice with those? Are you f- comfortable with those? Because I feel like going into those that clinical challenge, I feel like it's a big advantage if you have played with them before. I have worked with them, and we have them at my department, so I'm a little biased, but I don't think they're that hard to figure out Mm -hmm. because it's very intuitive. The cool part about it was they said right before we went live to compete, they go, what type of monitor do you use? Zoll. Okay. And there it is. Yep. 
It's so cool they have every monitor. Like, Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. And that's a problem, right, with scenarios. You go to put the leads on the patient. They're like, oh, no, put it on this box here. That's a cool thing about the I simulate is you can charge, you can pace, you can do all that stuff without having this, you know, bulky box to kind of mess with. Yeah, the bulky box would be like something that's not on a normal call. So it just keeps Correct. you in that suspension of disbelief. Yes. They did a very good job at that. I thought so, too. I got to see this the set, if you will, in a weight room. Yeah. The female that passed out. It was. Yeah, she looked like it. She was yeah. pale and sitting yeah. up when I saw her. But Yeah. So our first one was that scenario, but it was a male having a STEMI. We came in and like the whole theme of the call, right? You're like, oh, Jim, guy looks like crap. Yeah. That this is a STEMI. Well, cool. I wanted to ask you about the 12 lead. How do they hand you a 12 lead? Do they physically hold you, hand you a piece of paper? Or are you looking at something on the iSimulate? When you hit 12 lead, it acquires it and then it displays on the screen. It's an iPad. So yeah. you're, you're, you're looking at a 12 lead on the screen, which yeah. was fine. Yeah. Um, I've had some where they hand them to you as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, put on the leads, hit 12 lead and got it. That's nice. Awesome. It's fluid. And again, it's that not having to do this this thing where there's a an external party having to come into the call and hand you something, you know? Yeah. It's nice that it's integrated in like a natural flow. It does really well at uh, making you think that's actually the patient's rhythm. So if Paul were here, what would he say he wished he had done better on the call? Paul would... Uh, spend about the next 30 minutes telling you everything he did wrong. He is so hard on himself, but mm. that's the type of guy he is. Mm -hmm. So I think he would have a long list of things to tell you. Unlike me, I'm just like, eh, I thought I did good. I don't know. <laughs> I thought the camera angle kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, no, I think, I think Paul would, uh, I don't know what he did bad on. I felt like he did great, but I'm sure he would have, I'm sure he has a long list in his head of things that he would improve on. Cause that's a kind of, guy that he is mm -hmm. that's the type of medic paul is do you think that montgomery county dried and warmed and stimulated the neonate i think they did why do you think that because they got first <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't talked to him so uh we're we're in the top three right it was us montgomery county and uh grapevine texas they make you draw to see who who goes first mm. right and we got first which i was super excited about because mm -hmm. you don't want to go last because one they're gonna they're gonna be recording you for facebook and also we could just get it over with we went first and then montgomery county went second so then we had time to kind of hang out and talk afterwards so I, I went up to them and i said hey man good job guys you did good and they're like oh yeah and i'm like man that was a tough scenario and i was like how long did it take for you to find the second baby <laughs> and they're like what like, you, you didn't find the second baby hidden under, under the couch they're like, no, man, that didn't happen. I'm like, all right. So that's really cute. Yeah. I was really happy that, like, we already talked about it. It was pretty cool that all the Texas teams got top three. And we proud. your other teammates won the BLS challenge. Yeah. Jonathan won. He won first place at the BLS. So he gets to go to Scotland. So why are you saying just Jonathan? Did he didn't have a partner? He did. What we ended up doing, kind of on the fly, was Merritt, one of our partners. We have what's called Team Merritt now which is um, just got started where it's basically merit uh, sponsors, all these teams. We had a BLS provider from another team that wasn't participating oh. and Jonathan was with us. Well, Jonathan couldn't participate. So the merit guys were like, Hey, why don't you guys join up and be a team merit team and compete? Holy. And they did. And, and they, they won. And they got first. And they'd never worked together before. They've never, they'd never have met each other until maybe a day that, that day. We were actually practicing them running some calls before the competition. We were going over there, and I was going to be a patient, just watching how they worked together, and they were figuring stuff out on the fly. I mean, we're talking 30 minutes before they went live and competed. They were like, okay, I'm going to work on this. You do this. Kind of strategized, and it worked for them. Before you went um, to EMS World, did you listen to the EMS World podcast where I interviewed Salim Razai, one of the evaluators? Yeah. Good. Yeah, that actually helped us out a lot. Did it? Yeah, it actually got us excited because we were listening to the creators of it and they were talking about, hey, we're going to grade them on, what was it like? Oh, you know, I said I talked to Salim and I did, but I also talked to John Bailey, John who, who created Salim. the whole thing. Correct, correct, yeah. He was a cool guy to mm -hmm. deal with there. He was he was awesome. But yeah, we listened to it and that got us excited because we're like, hey, they're, it sounds like they're going to grade on, you know, clinical care, um, evidence-based medicine, all the things that we thought we 
provides. It made us excited to compete. Actually made me less stressed out. A lot of times we're going to these competitions where like, we don't know what they're looking for. We don't know what works, what's good. So we just end up like, well, let's just take care of our patients. And if we, and if that's what they want, we're going to do good. That's mm-hmm. kind of what happened on this particular comp. Let's, yeah. Let's run a call. That's a good way to approach it. Yeah. Just take care of people. So what advice do you give to a paramedic student? Right now we've got students that are in their last semester. Let's say they get their first job. Any advice for them for... The advice would be kind of um, how to make a career of it because you've made a career of it, yeah. right? Not just how to do well at the job, or but how to have longevity is really my, one of my main missions is f- helping people figure out how to do this job for a long period of time and for EMS to be good to them. Yeah. First thing I would tell them is to invest in yourself. I guess what I mean is look for a department that will – support the life that you want to have. So a lot of times I talk to students and they want to go to a specific department because they have a certain protocol or they do something more aggressively than other people of other uh, departments. But make sure that you go for a department that gives you a living wage, that pays for benefits, that gives you time off, because that is what's going to help you sustain a long career in this job. And it is hard to sustain a career in this job. I'm an exception to the rule, Mm -hmm. but I noticed that in the area where I work, there's a lot of people that are exceptions to the rule. So find those departments and I don't necessarily try to sell my own department. There's other departments that have things that people may want, but don't just go to the place because you know, Oh, they do this procedure or they run a lot of calls. That's great. But how's that going to sustain you for 30 years? I had a really good conversation with a kid who reached out to, uh, Jr. While he was at the conference, and Doctor said, Pickett. Doctor Pickett. Sorry. No, I just I want the listener to know who Jr. is. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Not everyone knows who. Yeah. JR. <laughs> there's more than one Jr. That's true. That's true. But there's only one Doctor Pickett. That's for sure. That is true. So he reached out to him via email and said, "Hey, I'm interested in your department. Do you have anyone at recruiting at this?" Um, conference and he said no but i know the guys that are there so he sent me the email and i sat down with these kids who looked i mean they looked like they were probably 19 and he pulls out his phone and he just starts asking me all these super great questions Neat. and i and i thought i was being interviewed for like a newspaper and i was like oh my you god notes? Man. oh yeah oh, i love it and he like studied our department like like he knew stuff about it he was asking like really good questions and uh they were finishing up their paramedic and they're looking at different systems. And one of, you know, the system I work at was one of the ones he was looking at. Interesting. And he had so many great questions. And I was just like, I was like, man, I would have never asked those questions when I was looking for a department. This is no. awesome. Yeah. As you're talking about time off and a living wage and all of those things, it's great advice because it's without that. That's I'm thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like the base yep. thing is just... You got to be able to pay your mortgage. You got to be able to like have time off to sleep, like these basic human needs yeah. that if, if that's broken, like we don't even care about fancy protocols, as you said. Yeah. It's something I don't think students necessarily think about, but when you've been in the EMS for a while, I think it's something that you start to realize is you have to work for a place that will sustain a lifestyle that you can flourish in, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm fortunate to work for one of those places. I take a month off every year, an entire month off, Hmm. and I travel, and that right there just keeps me sane sometimes when I'm on my 20th call. That's spectacular. It is. You're like European or something. (laughs) Isn't that messed up how the Europeans get a month off every year? No, it's spectacular. No, it's awesome. It's just messed up that we don't have it. Is it the same month every year that you take off? Well, I take off in the summertime. Because have, have you ever worked EMS in the summer <laughs> in Texas? Uh-huh. It's miserable. <laughs> so you take off like July or August? I or? usually take off uh, June or July. So June's my uh, in my birthday. So sometimes we take off and go travel. But usually it's July or like mid-July, August. And I try to like, I try to plan it so I get out when, you know, it's 110 out. How do you get a whole month off? I have benefit time and I Use take it. it off. Oh, yeah. And some trades too? No, no. I take off an entire month. How neat. Yeah. People that are hearing this right now that work for an apartment are like, that son of a bitch. I can't believe he's doing that. Well, but look what you've done for that department. You've stuck with them for how many years? 
Uh, 11 years. Right. Yeah. So it's to, I mean, it works. It's a formula that works for longevity. It does. It does. And I don't think a lot of people hear about people making a career at an EMS. I think they need to hear that more. And I think they need to hear it from people that actually... So I, I think you can you can stay in EMS, but I think the the problem with it is you end up working a lot of overtime and like are 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 you surviving or are you are you living? I guess is what I'm trying to say. And uh I think it's pretty easy to find an EMS job, but finding an EMS job that pays good and gives you benefits in retirement takes a little bit more work, but there it's out there, so invest in yourself and you're worth more than whatever you know, some department is willing to pay you. You're, you're worth more than that. I guarantee you. You may not feel like it sometimes, but you are. I'm going to stop there. Okay. I think that you are a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and I could ask you 20 things and there's 20 things that you could teach us, but I really, a lot of listeners tell me like part of what they get out of the podcast is this renewed sense of remembering why they loved it at the beginning and understanding that perhaps there is a way to navigate it so they can not have to jump ship from EMS. You can't give the same advice for every person. It's different. But yeah, it, it exists. If you want to have a career in EMS, it's absolutely possible. There's, I know plenty of people that do it every day. I do it. You do it. And we're out there. There's great departments out there, great people. And we're waiting for you. We need you. There's literally calls holding right now. Literally. 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 There's probably a call going on across the street right now. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we got to go. No big reason for this outro other than to tell you thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling new medics about the show. It's still growing organically. One medic passing it off to another, to another, all around the world. So thanks for that. I'm thinking. Okay. This is the most silence I've ever heard through. I feel like, you know, when you take the the hearing mm-hmm. test, mm-hmm. I had to do that last week for my How's your hearing? yearly physical. Apparently it's good, but every time I'm in there, I'm just <laughs> here to sit in the button. You're yeah. like, oh my God, this is it. I'm done. <laughs> and they come out and they're like, yeah, all right, you're good.